Hi, welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Welcome back to Medicus. My name's Nate, and today we're bringing you another specialty interest podcast, Fourth Year Perspective, but today the subject is ophthalmology. Our guest, Nolan Adams, is a fourth-year student at the Loyola Stritch School of Medicine, who at the time of this interview was post-match. He's actually since graduated and has started his transitional year program at Presence Resurrection Hospital, and we'll be lucky enough to have Nolan back at Loyola for his ophthalmology residency starting his PGY2 year. He's originally from Rockford, Illinois, and he went to Northwestern University for undergrad. He did a gap year working as a CNA before coming to Loyola University for medical school. He found ophthalmology early in his first year and got involved with the interest group and has spent the last four years helping other students decide if ophthalmology is a good fit for them and helping them through the application process. So we're very excited to have Nolan on the podcast. He has a lot of great insight and knowledge about ophthalmology and the application process. So with that, let's cut to the interview. Nolan, could you just tell us a little more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm an M4 student going into ophthalmology here at Loyola Stritch School of Medicine. Found ophthalmology when I came to med school, hadn't really heard of it beforehand, and really uh, was attracted to it. And so next year I'll be doing my transitional year at Presence Resurrection Hospital, and then we'll be coming back to Loyola for ophthalmology. Okay, interesting. Presence Resurrection, where exactly is that hospital? It's about 30 minutes north of school up in okay. Norwood Park. Okay. Uh, it's just barely in Chicago. I guess one of my first questions, actually, I didn't put on this list that I sent you, is um, it's one of the questions that I think a lot of people have is, how do you spell the word ophthalmology? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, this is a pet peeve of some of the older generation of yeah. ophthalmologists. But yeah, there's an extra H thrown in. Yeah. So O-P-H-T-H, and yeah. then the rest of it, A-L-M. Yeah, just the, yeah, that's always the hard part. That's how I know that you're really going with ophthalmology, because yeah. you know there's a P-H right there. Yeah, the that's, silent H. <laughs> yeah, that's a difficult one. I think it's like Greek, I guess. You know, so what can you do about that? <laughs> But so there might be some people listening who are kind of familiar with the idea of eye doctors, but they may not really know like what an ophthalmologist does. Mm -hmm. Could you just give like a brief rundown of what an ophthalmologist does? Yeah. So an ophthalmologist, it's like the four-year residency after medical school. So they're an MD who specializes in eye diseases. They are clinical and surgical subspecialties. So um, usually about half and half or three-quarter to one-quarter split between clinic and surgery dealing with a whole range of eye diseases, diagnosing, treating, treatments in clinic, doing surgeries in the operating room, yeah, and just covering the, the range of eye disease. Cool. So you'd mentioned that they're an MD, right? And so we also know there's other, I guess you could say eye doctors or eye professionals, uh, mm -hmm. like for example, like an optometrist or an optician. Could you explain how those professions are different from ophthalmology? Yeah, so uh, optician is kind of the base level. That's, I think, anywhere from six months to two years sort of training program. It can be like right after high school. And that's sort of the glasses, dealing with customers, giving them glasses, reading a prescription, and finding the right fit for the customer. The next step would be an optometrist who has gone through a bachelor degree and then has a four-year program in optometry school. They are able to diagnose eye diseases. They're, they're kind of the next step up. So they do prescriptions. They can diagnose some diseases. They do some treatments. They can, in certain states, they can administer medications, and in some states, even do surgery, some of the basic surgeries. 
so kind of the intermediate level. And then an optometrist would refer to an ophthalmologist for the eye surgeries, as well as like more complex treatments like injections, lasers. So I imagine that there's probably a lot of overlap between ophthalmology and optometry sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. All ophthalmologists are able to do the manifest, the like one, two, find the prescription, and then optometrists are able to diagnose a lot of diseases that ophthalmologists can. So there's definitely some overlap there. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I guess there's going to be like working together a lot too in a lot of clinics, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. And in the residencies, it's definitely a big benefit to have optometrists uh, because it increases the number of patients that are coming through clinic and then they can refer up the complex cases. Sure. Um, So you get to see more of the complex pathology when optometrists are involved. Yeah. It's super interesting because it it seems like physician assistant or nurse practitioner, like that's becoming more and more common and more and more popular in other parts of medicine. But it seems like it's been established for a long time in the whole eye care world, which is super interesting. It's almost baked into the way that everything works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's an interesting dynamic there too, since the optometrist kind of like, unlike like a PA or something can also have their own thing running, but then a lot of them choose to come into practice like here at Loyola where they can see a little more complex, a little more hands-on. So they can kind of do that whole range. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So one of the things that is interesting to talk about is the ophthalmology residency. It's one of those ones that's an advanced residency versus categorical. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little more about how the ophthalmology residency works, like how long it is and that kind of thing? Yeah. As an advanced position, so there's one year of a preliminary year beforehand at another site or the same site, and then a three-year residency for ophthalmology. And the way that the first year works, so it's called a preliminary year, and uh, the, the terms get a little confusing, but what you can do for that year is either a transitional year or a prelim year, and the prelim can be in medicine or surgery. Um, so a prelim medicine year, you look basically just like a general, like an internal medicine resident for one year. Same with surgery, you look like a general surgeon resident. And then for, for the transitional year, it's sort of like a, like a third-year redux where you are uh, doing a wide range of rotations. You get some elective slots, and and in general, you tend to do less of the like ICU like surgery months than you would in the prelim years. Uh, so then, there's th- the three years of ophthalmology are standard, but increasingly, programs are starting to integrate that first year into their ophthalmology mm-hmm. program. And so then, it's just a, they would call it a categorical ophthalmology program, um, where you come in that first year and you would still do six to nine months of uh, either like internal medicine or surgery or electives. But then you would have three to six months of ophthalmology during that first year. And that's increasingly popular. And uh, the AAO, the American Academy of Ophthalmology, is also pushing to have that standardized across all residencies um, within the next few years. So they're hoping that eventually the uh, prelim year will be gone for ophthalmology. Okay, interesting. So that will just be a complete change. I guess there's, I mean, there's other programs that also do a similar prelim year. I guess like anesthesiology does that, I think, and like orthopedics maybe. So Yeah, so I think like anesthesiology, dermatology, uh, PM&R, radiology. Radiology does it too. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if they're trying to get rid of that in all of the different um, specialties or maybe just ophthalmology is doing that independently. I've heard yeah, the anesthesia is making a big push for it as well. Okay. And the other ones I'm not really sure on. Interesting. But it, I can definitely see the benefits of it. To jump into your specialty earlier seems like a no-brainer. Well, yeah, and we'll talk about this later, but having to match twice is kind of difficult. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it uh, becomes, yeah, it's a, it's a thing we'll get into later in the interview, but that's a burden. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So then could you talk a little bit more about how, what an ophthalmologist actually does on a weekly basis? You did say that it's like a combination between clinic and surgery. Could you say just like what a normal week would be like and how that kind of works? 
Yeah. So most ophthalmologists would have between like one to two days of surgery per week, and the rest of the days would be uh, in clinic. So it's a very clinic-heavy surgical subspecialty. In clinic, it's a wide range of things. Depending on the subspecialty, uh, you can be doing minor procedures, uh, like some of the plastics procedures with like eyelid repair, treating blepharitis, things like that. If you're doing retina in clinic, you're doing a lot of lasers, a lot of injections um, in the middle of your clinic workflow. And then most subspecialties will have one to two days of uh, surgery as well. So they'll kind of see those patients during the week beforehand, do the surgery, and then have the follow-up visit the following week. So yeah, I would say usually the break is about three days in clinic and two in surgery or four in one. Okay, interesting. And you did kind of mention some of like the subspecialties. Um, Off the top of your head, do you know like what are the more common subspecialties to go into? I assume just remaining a general ophthalmologist is probably the most common, but... Yeah, so I think, I'm not sure exactly what the stats are in this. I think it's around like 60% do fellowship. Um, but the nice thing about ophthalmology is that they're, uh, the fellowships are short. So the majority are one year, and there's only mm-hmm. a couple that are two year. But surgical retina is two year, and then oculoplastics is two years. The rest of them are one year. And so you can do medical retina, which is you would do like the injections and lasers, but not all of the retina surgeries. There's pediatrics and strabismus, anterior segment, meaning cataracts as well as like refractive surgery. There's glaucoma, uveitis, treating all kinds of eye infections, and then also neuro-ophthalmology. Okay, interesting. So I assume that during your residency, you probably rotate around those different services and just kind of experience everything. Is that mostly how that works? Yeah, it depends on the program. Some are structured that you'll just kind of be thrown into clinic, and every day of the week you'll see everything for all three years. But other programs like here at Loyola, you'll spend like three months seeing mostly glaucoma and then three months mostly seeing retina. Um, and then it will only have maybe one day a week where you're seeing everything. Okay, interesting. So for you personally, what kinds of things attracted you to ophthalmology? Yeah, so I remember pretty clearly the first year, so I hadn't heard of ophthalmology or, or several of the like surgical subspecialties, but felt interested in surgical subspecialties and went to all of the uh, panels where the residents would talk about their experiences. And the thing that really drew me to ophthalmology right from the outset was when they were talking about the global health experiences. Hmm. I think ophthalmology has a unique position where when you come in and do the eye surgeries, you can, you can blitz through about like 100 in a couple of weeks depending on the size of your team. In some cases, some surgeons are doing like 50 per day while they're over there. And these surgeries, if you do cataract surgeries, need minimal follow-up. So you can come in, restore vision to so many people, and then leave, and uh, there's no need for follow-up on it, and you've really changed the community. And I'd always been interested in global health but wondered about the sustainability of it, wondered whether I would want to live overseas or do short-term trips, and ophthalmology seemed to be a perfect fit in terms of doing those short-term trips with a high impact. Then some of the other things that stood out, the ophthalmology residents were really happy. They seemed uh, to really enjoy what they were doing. They talked about the, the diversity of things that they were doing every day and seeing, and I think that's the one thing that has really been attractive the further I've gotten into pursuing ophthalmology. Every layer of the eye it's kind of crazy to me. Like every each of these tiny, like some of them, just a few cells thick layers. You like the cornea has like an entire uh, fellowship dedicated to it. And people will do all these surgeries, all these uh, procedures, diagnostic procedures centered around that. And then you move back just a couple layers, and it's an entirely different field almost in terms of the procedures they're doing, the surgeries. So I love that you can do so many different things. One day you're shooting lasers in and burning up blood vessels in the back of the retina. And then the next day you're cutting into the front of the eye and rearranging the, the eye muscles. Um, so I really love that there's so many different things you can do. 
And I really connected with the ophthalmologist personality. Uh, I think it draws a really academic personality just from being a competitive field. People who are on the quieter side, uh, very thoughtful, very friendly, almost like a, like pediatric nice, but also people who are doing these really complex surgeries and complex procedures. So I connected with that personality fit, love the global health aspect, and then love the diversity of what they do. Sure. Yeah. It's really, it's kind of easy for a medical student to, you know, find out about specialties. All they really have to do is go shadow. But what, what we love having you guys, the, the M4s in, is to kind of talk about your path and like the way that you made it in. Mm-hmm. So I think now we're going to try and, you know, transition a little bit into, so we say a first year student is interested in ophthalmology and like uh, what exactly would they have to do to get there mm-hmm. or what exactly would they do to prepare for it. So... We know that, you know, for any specialty, you're going to need good grades, you're going to need a good step score, you're going to need research and extracurriculars and volunteering. But do you have any perspective on the things that might be particularly important for like a program director for ophthalmology? Yeah. Um, So definitely, I think all the things you said are as important in ophthalmology as as in any specialty. There's yeah pretty hard cutoff sometimes for step scores. Um, So the step score is really important. Um, I think research is uniquely important in ophthalmology compared to some other specialties where it really is a requirement to have at least some research. And then at the higher levels, uh, especially to have a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one of the big factors that um, residencies really look at. As far as the extracurriculars, I think doing the ophthalmology interest group I think was a helpful thing for my application and I'm just going through the process, being able to talk about the ways that that had led to my interest in ophthalmology as well as cultivating that for other students. So I think that's a way that really stands out. And it can open up opportunities besides just shadowing to do uh, like eye clinics, health fairs, things like that, where you get a little hands-on time, you're able to give back to a community and get to practice some of these skills. So I think that's a really great thing to have during the first and second year as well. And then I would say one unique thing about ophthalmology is that the field is so small. People had said this as I was going into it, and then the further I've gotten, the smaller it feels. It seems like every program director knows every program director and well, it's not quite that extreme. It is a very small field. And so the personal connections are really important. So if students have an opportunity to do like research or volunteering that puts them into contact with faculty at their institution, I think that's really key because you start to build those relationships early and those relationships become really important. And I would also say um, as far as rotations, so students can rotate at their home uh, institution, but then also doing away rotations um, helps build those connections among other institutions as well. And so I think that's really important to continue building that relation aspect. I, I think that's as important as anything on the, the application. So you mentioned rotations. Let's talk about that a little bit more. So how is the rotation for ophthalmology? Is it, I mean, because I think everyone will eventually experience like an internal medicine rotation or a surgery rotation. How would the ophthalmology rotation compare to that? So I think from a student perspective, the ophthalmology rotation is much less engaging. You're mostly shadowing. There's very few times that you get to do anything hands-on uh, because it takes so much time to learn, even just to do the basic ophthalmology exam. So it's, it's a lot more shadowing. The ophthalmology microscopes that they use for patient examination have uh, a side scope on them, and so students will often be looking through the side scope. The resident will point out the finding, whatever they're seeing. But it takes a lot of time to get used to seeing all the different layers of the eye. And so a resident might say, like, wow, do you see this in the vitreous here, all this floating? And to a student, if you're not familiar with looking at the vitreous, you see 10 different layers and you're like, I'm not sure what I'm looking at here. So I think as a student, I found it very confusing initially. You don't really know what you're seeing. A lot of the time is spent shadowing. Um, There's not as much hands-on time. 
So I think it's hard to get engaged from the rotation alone. I think students uh, should go in being prepared to spend a lot of time shadowing and, and piquing their interest in the field through their conversations with the residents, not necessarily through what they're seeing. So does that apply to the away rotations that you did as well? Or did you do away rotations? Actually, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, so I did two away rotations. Um, did one at Cook County here in Chicago and then down at Vanderbilt. On the away rotations, it's much more like institution specific. Uh, so the things I said about rotations apply here on the Loyola side. Even at the Heinz VA here at Loyola, there's more hands-on time. And then depending on the other institution, at Vanderbilt, uh, a lot of the time was less hands-on, more shadowing. At Cook County, they kind of throw you in and you can have your own room and see your own patients and practice the exam. So I think it it varies a lot, uh, rotation to rotation. But in general, I think away rotations expect that students will have learned a little more at their home institution and might give them a little more autonomy. Sure. Uh, Did you get a letter of recommendation when you were at your away rotations? Um, I ended up getting all of my letters from here at Loyola. Okay. Um, some students got them from away rotations. In general, I think it's more common to get it from an away rotation if there's no ophthalmology program at your institution. That makes sense. So for students here at Loyola, I think every student I can think of from the last few years has gotten them uh, from faculty here. And in general, you get three letters for the San Francisco match. And students tend to do two from ophthalmology faculty and then one from another faculty either like the internal medicine chair letter, that's a very common one, or from like a surgical or internal medicine mentor or um, really any other specialty as long as uh, there's a connection there. Okay, interesting. There we go. Well, I think we might move into the interview trail and the match, I guess now that you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. So do you know like in a general, like how many students are matching into ophthalmology every year? Generally matching, I think around like 480. Yeah. And that's out of like 600 students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. I, it's, it's not it's it's not as competitive as you might imagine, but it also seems very competitive that 485 students are matching and 649 people are trying to match. That seems a little bit rough. Yeah. I think the numbers are, are always like surprisingly good, especially for like a, a US MD applicant. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the match rate is somewhere around like 85 to 90% every year. Um, so it's actually like a, a really good match rate relative to some other specialties. Okay. And so then how many programs do most people apply to? Um, so I think the average this last year was 75. Speaking on behalf of Loyola people, I think uh, most of us were around that range. Mm-hmm. I applied to 50 programs just because I had a, a real regional specificity. Sure. I wanted to be either in the Midwest or the South. And so I applied to every Midwest and South program. And yeah. <laughs> it was around imagine. 50. Yeah. I mean, that seems like it'd be kind of expensive. How much did it cost you to do those 50 programs? For 50, I think the application fee was something around like 1000 to 1200 Okay. And then through the interview season, traveling to all the interviews, staying in hotels, I think the the sticker cost would have been somewhere around like two to three thousand. Luckily, I had saved up a lot of credit card points. That's another. This is a yeah. pro tip for any med students who are, <laughs> yeah. have a credit card right now. If you churn through your credit cards and rack up the rewards, you can save a lot on residency. But I would say the sticker price was around yeah two to three thousand. Yeah, that's pretty high. How many interview invites do most people end up you know attending or going to? So I think people end up going to about uh, like 10 to 12 is what they shoot for. Sure. If they have a lot more, then they might cancel some, but for the most part, people try to go to every interview they get. Sure. Could you tell us a little bit more about like how the interview day was structured? Like in general, like what, what, what happened during your interview days? Yeah, so it's usually a pretty consistent format. 
you'd be divided into one or two groups for the day. If they divide into two groups, then one group tours first and the other group interviews first. If you start in the interview group, let's say, you would come in, there'd be a presentation from the program director talking about the program, then the chief resident or another resident would give a presentation. Then you would uh, break off, do interviews with anywhere from two to seven or eight faculty. And some of those would be paired interviews as well. So I would say the maximum was probably like seven paired interviews. So with 14 different faculty. Interesting. And the minimum would be uh, like two interviews with paired faculty. So about four faculty. Okay. Um, But it's usually you see it in that range. You interview with about four to 14 people. Interesting. How did those interviews like compare to medical school interviews? I think I found these particularly to be more focused on hobbies, interestingly. Hmm, interesting. it, there was kind of the, the basic questions that you would expect about tell me about yourself and talking about research and hitting a few activities from the extracurriculars or the or like some of the clubs. But they really focused a lot on hobbies. So it turned into more of a conversation a lot of times about running club or playing music. There's much more of a focus on like forming a connection and um, sort of having a conversation, it seemed like than kind of running through a checklist of questions. I guess that makes sense because how many students are in a typical ophthalmology group? It would probably be maybe like two or three or maybe even. Uh, yeah, the residencies are between yeah, like two, as high as like seven or eight, Yeah, um, usually around like two to four. Yeah, so uh, I mean, you're, they're almost like, almost like interviewing you to be their friend in a way yeah. <laughs> and not so much like to be one of their students. I mean, yeah, it is true but that you need to, you know, be high performing academically, but they want to make sure that they're going to enjoy being near you for the next four years or three years. So Yeah, absolutely. And uh, most of the, the interviews would have a pre-interview dinner the night before, which is a chance to connect with the residents without the faculty around. They are really just feeling out the, the connection with you, whether or not they get along. And what I heard from residents is that those dinners are a good thing to attend just to get some face time with the residents. Uh, not something that will get you in the door, but it is something if they start to get a weird vibe from people that uh, can be a negative. So they okay. do really feel that out and want to make sure that they have a good personality fit with the applicants. Interesting. So then how did these interviews for the ophthalmology spots change or how is it different from the interviews you did for your transitional year? Yeah, the transitional year interviews, thankfully, were much shorter. They were, okay. <laughs> were yeah. mostly half-day interviews. You'd only have one to two interviews during the day. There'd still be a lecture from the program director talking about the program. Um, maybe one of the residents would talk to you, go on a tour, and then just one or two quick interviews um, that were much more focused on why this program in particular. In the ophthalmology interview, they know that you want to do ophthalmology, and you'll do it anywhere in a sense that it's so competitive that you'll go anywhere. But the transitional year spots want to know why you're coming to that city, why you're interested in their program. So more questions focused around that, but generally uh, just kind of shortened to the point. Okay, interesting. When So I guess I, we should step back and just explain something. I realized when we didn't do a very good job of it was that because you're applying to ophthalmology through the San Francisco match, you have to fill out two different uh, applications, one through the San Francisco match and one through the normal ERAS that um, put you in the National Resident uh, Matching Program. As you were interviewing at these different places, you eventually ranked them, I assume, right? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things were you looking at when you were interviewing that ranked one program higher than the other programs? So one of the things that I think generally stood out for me was are the programs that were categorical where they had integrated that prelim year. Um, generally ranked those programs higher than others. 
like I was saying earlier, that seems like a, a big advantage to get into ophthalmology earlier. I had a sweet spot I was looking for in terms of research where some programs really heavily emphasize research, others really heavily emphasize the clinical side and didn't have as much emphasis on research. I wanted something in the middle where there was enough that I could get engaged with research, but I, it's not something I see myself really having be the main focus of my career. And so didn't want to be in a place where that was the highest priority. Geography was important. There were a couple programs that I ranked lower simply because uh, geographically it wasn't where I wanted to be in the long term. And then just the sense of fit with the residents. There were a couple programs uh, where it just felt really like close connection with the residents, really easily clicked with them. Um, so that stood out as well, knowing that some of those residents would be overlapping with my time there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess then we can kind of fully transition over into like the San Francisco match itself and what that experience is like. Could you explain just like what the San Francisco match is and why it exists? Yeah, so <laughs> ophthalmology, for uh, whatever reason, has their own entire matching program, the San Francisco match, which handles the match into ophthalmology residencies as well as the fellowship matches in ophthalmology. And so they don't do anything with ERAS, the, the normal matching program. However, ophthalmology applicants do have to use ERAS, like you were saying, to match into that transitional or prelim year. The San Francisco match runs on a similar timeline to ERAS. The, the dates are a little earlier. The deadlines are a little earlier for submitting your application. But on the back end, uh, you finalize your rank list in December, and then just a couple weeks later, you find out where you matched. Whereas in ERAS, you finalize your rank list in uh, February and don't find out until March where you match. So there's just kind of a longer wait all around there. But yeah, so the San Francisco match, you'll know uh, about two months earlier uh, where you match at for ophthalmology. And this is really convenient being in the San Francisco match for people who either have a spouse who's trying to target the same region that they can match to ophthalmology and then their spouse knows how to rank their program if they're doing something besides ophthalmology. It's helpful for uh, choosing which transitional year or prelim programs to rank. That You can rank the programs that will be in the same city so you stay in the same area. One of the other perks of uh, being in the San Francisco match, actually, you match so early that uh, some of the prelim year programs have interview dates after you match to ophthalmology. So a lot of applicants in ophthalmology will push off their prelim year interviews until after January 11th or whenever the date is that year. Mm -hmm. And then if you find out that you match to a categorical program and won't need a transitional year, you can cancel all those interviews. That would be interesting. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of perks to matching early. Not the least of which is knowing two months ahead of everyone else where you'll be. No, yeah, totally. That's, it's just like one of the weird things about the match, I think. There's like so, that's like one of those, I don't know, idiosyncrasies. Everyone kind of, I think, knows that ophthalmology is weird and they've heard about the San Francisco match, but they don't really understand like how it's different. So that's interesting to hear exactly how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does ERAS, uh, how is it different from the application that you fill out for the San Francisco match, are they similar or is it like different kinds of requirements? I think the requirements were pretty similar. The biggest thing was that ERAS is much more structured and the way that it has you input your responses, input activities uh, is very well defined as far as how many activities you should be putting in, how many uh, research activities, et cetera. And there's, there's a clear cut box for it. The San Francisco match, the application itself is a lot more blank space. And you have to figure out how to fill it, how to budget the amount of lines you're using to get the number of activities you want in there. I think that was the strangest thing about it is you're just given a page and it says, like, write your hobbies here. You're given a page, write your extracurriculars here. There's no instructions as to putting in headings, how many activities you should have. They just give you a certain number of lines and characters and you just sort of run with it. Hmm. It's interesting. It's a little bit more of the Wild West. Yeah. 
And but as far as like letters of recommendation, uh, there's three for San Francisco, so the same as ERAS on letters of rec. Similar system for getting them. You send the email notification to your letter of rec writer. Did you use the same letters for uh, your ophthalmology versus your ERAS? Yes. Yeah, so I, I yeah I used the same letters for the San Francisco match as ERAS. Um, the other thing was I also used the same personal statement. Hmm. Uh, the transitional and prelim years know to expect that if you're doing an advanced position that your personal statement won't be targeted to them. And so all I did was change the last paragraph. And I think this is what most applicants do, change the last paragraph. So the personal statement reads like an explanation of why I'm going into ophthalmology. And then in the last statement, talk about how uh, being trained in this prelim year will help me get where I get to my ultimate career goals. Hmm, interesting. That's uh, it's it's an interesting conversation, I guess, to have, just because like, I'm here to learn for your one year and then I'm expecting to leave. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting conversation. Uh huh. Well, thanks so much for talking about all those details. I think we want to end the interview just talking about some of the stats so that people who are curious. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier the stat, but do you know um, off the top of your head like what the match rate is um, for, I guess, for U.S. seniors? Um, yeah, for U.S. MD seniors, uh, this year was 85%, which is just slightly lower. I think the last years were around 86 to 88%. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I assume there's other people who enter the match as well. I mean, there's going to be um, people from DO schools, people from uh, um, international schools, and yeah. I, their match rates are lower, I believe. Yeah, I'm not sure what the numbers are on those, but yeah, yeah, it's lower rates for USMD reapplicants as well as for mm-hmm. DO applicants international. Sure. Uh, do you know what the average step score is? Um, so this last year, uh, the average step score was 244 for uh, matched applicants and uh, 231 for unmatched applicants. Okay, so that's pretty up there. That's pretty up there. It's yeah. not as high as some, but it's pretty up there. Yeah, and I believe this year the matched uh, step score also uh, went down a little bit, but the unmatched step score rose a little bit. Oh, so it's sort of on. a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no way to win there. Can't get a break. How many applicants are put into their first choice? Um, this year, there was 74% that got into the, uh, one of their top three. Okay. Um, generally, it's around yeah, like se- around 70% get one of their top three. Um, I'm not sure what the stat is for the, the first choice. Uh, let me see if I can look it up. Yeah. I, uh, oh, okay. So it's 53% actually get into their first choice, which is pretty good. That's, I mean, half of people who do are very happy with what they, I mean, I assume yeah. the results. And yeah, that's a good three. stat. <laughs> yeah, top three is actually pretty dang good for 74%. I mean, I guess I don't know how that compares to other specialties, but if you, if you knew that you had a 74% chance of getting to your top three spots, you'd be pretty excited, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking about this. Um, it, it was like a, a short and sweet interview, but I think anyone who's maybe interested in ophthalmology has a jumping off board of like where to go from here. Do you have any last thoughts or maybe like words of wisdom for anyone? Um, yeah. So one of the things that I heard kind of coming into med school was um, if I'm interested in two things, pursue the more competitive one. Um, so coming in was interested in family med and ophthalmology um, and really pursued that uh, because if you're going to go into that more competitive specialty, you want to have that research and the scores and all of that. So I would really encourage students, if they have any interest in it, um, to get in there and shadow, talk to residents and really trust what you're hearing from the residents and attendings. Like I was kind of saying before, if you go shadow, if you're on a rotation, you're gonna spend a lot of time just looking through a slit lamp. Uh, You're not gonna know what you're seeing. But if you talk to people, if you watch some of the procedures, it really gives a good taste of what ophthalmology is about. And 
Um, I think ophthalmologists are really happy people. So I encourage people to um, take a look at it and, and see what the field's all about. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. All right, well, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or episode suggestions, you can submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.